Hi, I'm Marissa Fayer, the founder and CEO of Her Healthy Q. To me, Femtech is women's whole health for all women around the world. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto. In today's episode, I interview Marissa Feyer, the CEO and founder of a social enterprise nonprofit, Her Health EQ. Her Health EQ's vision is to reduce female mortality in developing nations by providing access to medical device equipment creating an equitable standard of care. Her Healthy Q focuses on providing equipment that treats top non-communicable diseases that impact the developing world. These include cancers that affect women, maternal health issues, diabetes, and heart disease. I was super inspired by Healthy Q's mission, providing attention to women's health around the world. Learn more at herhealthyq.org. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Marissa. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am happy to have you here. You know, we met at that Bio Insiders table um, where we led a discussion about how COVID-19 has infected, has a- infected, oh my God, can you tell, like, has affected, <laughs> well, it has. <laughs> has affected uh, healthcare investments. And, um, you know, they asked me to moderate it and you were there and I heard what you were working on. And I was like, um, excuse me in your DMs. Uh, can we uh, have an interview? Like you sound like someone I need to know. Did you feel the same? Yeah. Well, I already pre-looked you up and I already knew who you were because I was following you. So I was like, oh, hey, she's going to be moderating. Click, 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 click. I'll be there. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God. That's so, that makes me feel really cool. Yeah. There's like definitely a lot of people now that are like, hey, I love your show. And I'm like, oh my God, like you listen to my voice every week. Like that's, <laughs> this all blows my mind. I'm like, I'm just some lady sitting around with like 3D printed clitorises in my freaking spare bedroom, you know, like <laughs> just talking about women's health. Okay. <laughs> That sounds way creepier than it is though. Way creepier. A little, a little. Yeah. But, but I mean, in the femtech space, that's totally normal to us. Totally normal. Totally normal. Well, let's kick off the interview. We always love to learn more about our guests. Where are you from? What did you study? Did you have a career before you got into women's health? Tell us your story. Yeah, for sure. So I'm in New York City, week uh, 742 in my apartment uh, in New York City. So I'm sure everyone understands that. But, but, um, and it's been great. So um, I'm an engineer by background. I went to school for engineering and I went straight into the healthcare industry, not focused on women's health. I kind of, uh, you know, didn't know much about it. And um, after several years, I joined a women's health company and um, I I just thought it was a great opportunity. I wasn't seeking out a women's health company, Um, but engineering in operations and manufacturing and new products. I did a lot of work in mergers and acquisitions 
And, um, and I moved, I was grateful to, to move to different countries uh, with, with the companies I was working with. And so I was able to see the developing world. I was able to see what was going on. And um, so I spent 15 years in corporate. And for the last six years, um, I've had my consulting advisory firm that I've been running and, uh, and also Her Healthy Q that I founded uh, about four years ago. And um, actually five years ago now, as the years keep ticking up, yay. And um, so I never knew about women's health. Like it wasn't really a niche area anybody talked about. I mean, I was barely in an area that anybody talked about. I was an engineer. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember that my grandma's like, so great, you drive trains? And I was like, no, there's a little different. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I, I kind of never, never knew about it, never thought about it. And I was grateful to work at a company that's, that's all that they did. So yeah. I kind of fell into the space, luckily. Do you think that we need more engineers in women's health? Hundred percent. We need more engineers. Period. Uh, especially more engineers in women's health and more female engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it shouldn't be inclusive that uh, a woman or a, an engineer that's in femtech or you know or in women's health um, needs to be a woman. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you know it, it helps, but it's, it's not necessary. Certainly, there needs to be men in this equation as well. And so. Um, but always more, more female engineers. And quite honestly, women are more adapt to being engineers, even though we're told that we're not in elementary school, or at least when I was in school, uh, you know, it was, wasn't a thing. Now it's obviously far more equal and inclusive, thank goodness. Um, but there are, I mean, there are full countries that are graduating more engineer, more women engineers than men, which is admirable and amazing. So I feel a little bit like your grandma. I'm not thinking trains, but I do <laughs> want to clarify because if I have a question, I always assume most of my listeners might as well. So when I think engineer, um, I th- and it's not about trains, I think biomedical, which is like med device engineering. And then I, you know, we have an intern, she's an industrial design. So she's like designing, you know, cool ergonomic chairs and bras <laughs> and stuff. Um, and then I have heard of a bunch of founders. They want to do um, physical like wearables, right? And they're like, we need a hardware engineer. We need like a somebody to make a circuit board thing. Are those the engineering you're talking about? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, those are all just titles of engineers. Okay. Or, okay. Yeah. And, and not everybody necessarily has to be an engineer. I graduated from a manufacturing engineer uh, degree, which quite honestly is a mix of all of those combined because I couldn't pick one. So I just said, let me just get the mix because, and, it's, and for me, like, I like to be practical. So what's going to be most effective? What's going to save money? What's going to be able to be manufactured? What can we get out to consumers? To me, that was interesting as opposed to one tiny little mo- molecule, which there needs to be. That just wasn't me, you yeah. know, personally. Um, so yeah, no, engineers are, are very, very diverse and, you know, all the things you said, like their titles, their engineering titles. Okay, cool. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Um, well, what is her health EQ? Well, uh, that's my favorite question known to me. <laughs> Mike is yours. What is it? <laughs> yeah. So her healthy EQ, we are a nonprofit social enterprise and we create health equity in developing countries um, all around the world by providing resources women need to detect non-communicable diseases. Um, and these are medical issues 
that are really easily diagnosed and treatable with the right equipment. And so we provide medical devices um, to developing countries. We focus on women's health. So just as a quick snapshot, that's kind of what we do. Um, Yeah, and we work with medical device companies, we work with hospitals, and we get the equipment to uh, multiple countries throughout the world. Oh my gosh, I'm really excited about this. All right, so a few questions, clarifying questions. What is a developing country? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, of course. So it's, it's it, you know, I, I think a lot of people have heard of like first world, third world. There's actually a second world in between the first and third world. Um, and so a developing country is not the poorest of the poor, not the wealthiest, wealthiest of the wealthiest. So it doesn't necessarily include Europe or uh, most countries in Europe, um, the United States, Japan, you know, very industrialized countries. Um, um, We focus on the developing world, the emerging markets, um, because non-communicable diseases are a thing there. Um, You're not dealing with food insecurity as much, you know, it's always present. You're not dealing with food insecurity, uh, shelter insecurity, water insecurity, hygiene, things like that. Those have been more or less taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, And they've kind of reached this like, middle ground of, hey, we have basic health care and now we're living longer thanks to advances in all of these other things. Mm-hmm. And now where we have more disposable income to uh, buy crappy food and probably that's not so good for you and sugary or we have or we're living longer and we're getting these what they call diseases of affluence, but it's not really. I mean, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, Maternal health is still really a big issue. Um, so that's, so a developing country, uh, quite honestly, it's about two thirds of the countries uh, in the world. And uh, what are some of the countries that you work in specifically? Yeah, so um, we are in, let's see, Vietnam, um, Tanzania, Jamaica, Costa Rica, uh, Burkina Faso. We just facilitated donation actually our first one uh, to the United States to an area that's really disadvantaged um, and Costa Rica, I think I said, um, and we're about to launch um, a big program in India, uh, in Mexico, uh, I think potentially in Argentina. So just some examples well, yeah. uh, as well. So it's not just, you know, I don't want people to think like, oh, this is just Africa. Yeah. Um, no, it's literally the entire, entire world that we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I interviewed the founder of Days for Girls and they help with period poverty. And I was like, so where in Africa are you helping? And she's like, oh, we're helping in New Orleans. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) She's like, what's the problem here, you know? Um, And what do you, what is a non-communicable disease? So it's a disease that, um, that it's not like you're going to get it through a cough or through blood. You know, non-communicable means you're not going to transmit it. So you might just develop it um, either through environmental factors or genetics or things like that. And, um, and they include like for us specifically cancers, different types of cancers, um, which very often um, are not, you can't catch a cancer. Um, mm-hmm. There are obviously viruses that are causing certain types of cancers and we work in those, um, but on the grand scope of things, um, you can't catch it. So cancers, um, diabetes, heart disease, Internal health issues, things like that. And they can dramatically be reduced with routine screening, which is where the equipment comes in. 
Got it. And why did you start this? Are you just like passionate about shipping heavy equipment around the world? Like, why did you, why did you start this? Um, yeah, no, I'm not passionate about shipping heavy equipment around the world, certainly. Um, that's actually the hardest part of what we do. <laughs> yeah, thank God for our partnership with the UPS Humanitarian uh, just recently, because, you know, I don't actually want to deal with that. But um, I started this, I fell into it. I fell into working with a women's health company. I took a position in Costa Rica and I loved it. Um, I was working there as an expat um, and I had a conversation with a friend at a bar. She told me that women were dying in this whole other, other region. And, um, and quite honestly, it was because their mammogram machine broke down. I just, right before coming down to Costa Rica, I just finished a very, very large program with that same company um, that I was working for. And we just launched our 3D mammography system, the first in the world, the one that's out in the world now and the first ever with Hologic. And I rolled the first one off the production line. And I knew part of the program for getting these out into the world was that a lot of these companies and the hospitals would be bringing in their older devices and getting a discount to trade in to, to upgrade. And then I was like, oh, okay, great. Well, we have them sitting around our warehouse. Let's yeah. just get you one of these. And, you know, naive 30-year-olds, like, no worries. I'll get it for you. Call yeah. you back in an hour. And, um, and so that kind of started this. And then I just, I thought, like, we are working in this country. Like, why wouldn't we get, start to give back? And then I knew also that we were growing, like, every company, and this is not specific to one company, every medical device company is throwing equipment away. It's returned, it's scratched, um, and they changed the marketing. It's, you know, the second generation, and now they're on to fourth generation. It's like our iPhones, you know? Like, what do you do with the old ones? And yeah. so I, I hated this concept that we were throwing things away and throwing away perfectly good equipment. And so I knew, like, Costa Rica, one of the, one of the most well-off developing countries, mm -hmm. quite honestly, had this problem. So then I just started thinking, like, hey, what other countries had this and what other medical device communities and, com and companies had this, had the same excess. Yep. And so I started her healthy Q many years later, many, many years later. Um, I started it like after I left corporate, after our two jobs after that. Um, and cause it was always bothering me and like, yes. I was like yep. Oh, what to do about this. And so I was uh, like, Oh, I'll start a kind of nonprofit. And what has that experience been like? I feel like I want to, in my mind, I'm like, is this similar to how, uh, you know, grocery stores are like, we can't donate food to homeless people. Like <laughs> they'll sue us. And then like, yeah, that's never been the case. <laughs> is that something similar here? Like, do you face like, um, like hesitation by companies to say like, oh, well, we don't want to donate it or whatever. Like, do you, are there barriers there? Thankfully, not as much. Oh, good. So um, most companies are very, very open to oh, yeah. donating equipment. Oh, um, you know, there's obviously things that we have to sign, things that we make other people sign. Um, mm -hmm. You know, thank God for lawyers and, and their job security as well with all these forms. Um, but from most of these medical device companies, they're relatively charitable. Um, they, they understand that this is a problem. Some mm -hmm. of them have their own uh, foundations to do this. But not every company wants to put the effort to do it. And, yeah. um, and so it's as if we're almost like a middleman. 
we have the connections in the developing worlds. So we are continuing to grow them. We are a nonprofit, so we're able to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're, they're, they really want to, you know, there's nobody that we talk to that's like, oh, this is a horrible idea. It's, it's now just getting into the mechanics of the company yeah. that's like figuring out and where in the supply chain can we get in? How do we get the equipment? How is it? Make sure that um, it's, it's recertified. We have to make sure that's in working order. Like we don't want to send mm-hmm. trash to another country. Yeah. Like that's just a waste. So we make sure that like everything's working and it's recertified. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of inner workings associated with yeah. it, but no, 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 on the, on the grand scheme of things, they are very, very oh, charitable awesome. and, and open. And do you ever find that like, um, the machines are not going to be compatible in the developing country? I know that I've heard a story once about, um, there is some African community saying we need NICU, like those beds yeah. for NICU babies. And America was like, we'll provide them. And they like sent a bunch over that required like five plugins and like all this special equipment. And Afri- these African communities were like, why the fuck did you send this to us? Like we can't yeah. plug this in, you know? So do you ever face that just incompatibility? Yeah. So it's something that we were aware of. We were highly aware of it. Um, I learned about it when I was in Costa Rica, like you know, I, I mean, we had to dig a trench to get wires, you know, to the hospital that can support the voltage that needed for a mammography. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so we do like a site survey before we do a yeah. survey of the location. We also then obviously speak to them, you know, whoever's donating the equipment to us, you know, what, what is the power requirements, what it is. And if there needs to be some sort of converter, there needs to be something like we'll provide that with that, uh, you know, with them. Um, and that everybody knows like what's coming. Like it's not, it's not a surprise and it's going to be like a whole entire package, but we do it through a lot of diligence. And, you know, there's places that just don't have the infrastructure to support certain types of equipment. And, you know, unfortunately we have to say that, that it's not going to be compatible at this time, yeah. um, unless there's some infrastructure upgrades that they can do. Um, yeah. so, you know, sometimes it's so easy, you know, it, that it's something like we're just plugging it into a wall, but sometimes it needs like crazy amounts of voltage or power. Um, sometimes it actually just needs a, pa- a battery charger. Huh. So um, especially as things get far more mobile and smaller. Yeah. yeah um, it sounds like it could be for all genders, right? Yeah, but your right. company is called Her Healthy Q. So why are you focusing specifically on women's non-communicable diseases in these countries? It's 100% an issue for everybody. I don't want to diminish that. We focus on women specifically. I'm a, I'm a woman in STEM. I'm very aware of that. I promote STEM education. I want girls to go to school. Mm-hmm. And I realize in developing countries, the girls are not going to school because they're the first ones pulled out when somebody is sick in their family. Mm-hmm. And so in order for them to go to school, their mothers and their grandmothers and their aunts and sisters, they have to be healthy. I'm in healthcare. I've been in healthcare my entire career. I can solve the health issue. Mm. I personally cannot solve the education issue. It's not something that I knew or I understood. The other side of it is, again, I worked in healthcare. It was an easier solution. So it's something that I can work on. And then the other side of it is that 90% of a woman's income goes back to her family, while only 35% of a man's salary goes back to his family. What does he do with the other money? Well, I mean, you know has a good time, gambles, drinks. And, and it's, this, that's a gross overgeneralization. And I understand that, but there's like 
studies up the yeah. wazoo. Yeah. I'm, and wow. and for, for us, listen, we want economic empowerment for these women. Like if they're healthy, they A, send their girls to school, B, are able to work in whatever industry or, or informal industry that is, and C, they can they alone can bring their entire family out of poverty and d it's not just a woman it's an entire community women work in communities mm-hmm. all over the world most especially in the developing world and okay. so it just it just made sense and like i'm a woman you know and women don't have access as well yeah. to all you know it's a societal thing so women don't necessarily have access to all um, of the healthcare services so and you know, it's sad to say, but like women's health is just a little bit more complicated. Like we have lots more internal stuff mm-hmm. to deal with. And, you know, with childbirth and all of these other things, like there's just a lot more to think about and worry yeah. about in a woman's health. Yeah. Yeah. Between our menstrual phases, having it, not having it, yeah. <laughs> not having it because there's a problem when we should be having it, <laughs> you know, um, the consequences of those hormone changes and uh, even women's safety, you know, like uh, uh, their physical safety and what they have to be concerned about and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I totally agree. We totally agree at Femtech Focus. That's why our tagline is women's health is everyone's health. And I like to always say like, also everyone's health includes the economy and mother earth, like (laughs) sustainability with menstrual products. Like we literally target the woman and everything else will like fall into place is my belief. Um, you were talking about the mammograms. Can you give us some other examples of other like devices that you've helped trans like share? Yeah, of course. So ultrasound machines, um, uh, fetal monitors. Um, one of them just actually went out in the mail just, uh, this week. Um, uh, also things to treat and detect cervical cancer. So a colposcope, um, cryotherapy, thermal ablation to treat cervical cancer, Um, we're starting to do a lot more work, a lot of, so ultrasounds are helpful in many, many different conditions. Um, so that's always great. Um, and, um, you know, starting on diabetes as well. So dialysis equipment and then monitoring and EKG machines, um, just to, to monitor your, your heart health. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's tons, there's, there's literally tons of things. Um, we don't, we don't, deal in like durable goods. So like gauze and syringes and scissors and all of those things, there's incredible organizations that do that. Uh And, um, they, and, and it is an entire logistics chain just to figure that out. And, um, and they're amazing at it. We don't want to be in competition with them. We're not, we're not in competition. We all work together. Um, you know, our specific niches is equipment or like things that you would see in your doctor's office or in the hospital, like anything that you can't, you typically don't throw in the trash is, is considered medical equipment. And that's kind of what we deal in. Like those things with the little light and they tell you to open up and then they put the wood stick on your tongue. Like <laughs> that thing. I mean, that is considered a medical equipment for sure. That's a little bit more, you know, durable goods because there's around, but that itself is called, it's, it's considered a medical device. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Cause usually I go to like next gen sequencing machine to find out, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah. it also probably is just like that light thing that looks in your throat (laughs) or like a blood analyzer like even like a silly like a centrifuge oh my god no it has to spin it it's it's such relatively ancient technology yeah that but like nobody thinks that yeah every lab needs something like this yeah 100 percent so you're a nonprofit. how 
are you, how is this funded? Like, are you, is it grants? Like how, how is this supported for this many years? No, thank you. So it's, um, it's private donations for sure. Like philanthropically, um, it is always, you know, the, the, the best. Um, we do have, of course, some grants. Um, we have corporate partners that support us and are always looking for more. Um, we have also recently transitioned into a social enterprise, which uh, means that, you know, it's, it's a tag phrase, quite honestly. It doesn't mean anything. If, you know, we're still a nonprofit. Nothing changes around the way, who, you know, who we are. But um, in order for us to be sustainable, we, um, we have started to charge for the equipment at a much slower rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were providing service and installation and training and monitoring and all of these things in alignment and, and in alignment with who we are as an organization. And so um, that will start to become a revenue stream for us, which is 100% compliant with nonprofit rules. Mm-hmm. Almost honestly, a nonprofit's a corporation. It just means that, like, personally, I'm not rich, which is fine. Um, I'm rich in the work that we do, certainly. And um, we've also just started to open up uh, uh, an arm of our business that can be invested in. This is capital equipment. Um, and obviously we have revenue coming back. And so um, a separate side of our business uh, can be invested in, which is which is exciting for us. Uh, it's nerve wracking, certainly for me as a CEO, but it is exciting <laughs> for us because the more impact, impact capital that we have in the organization, the greater impact we can have. Yeah. And that's really important. And nonprofits don't necessarily always have to be just like, you know, waiting for money to come in and please give it to us. And like, we hope that you do. I'm a court, like I'm personally, I'm a corporate person. Most of our board members, we are corporate people. And it's, you know, it, it's really hard to continue to ask people for money. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the other side of the thing is, is corporations, like they technically have to give money. Like this is, these are tax incentives for them. So why would you not support a company in an organization like ours or so many out there that are doing great work. You mm-hmm. get the benefit of it, of the PR and the tax write-offs and all of this, and we're doing the work. So yeah. um, we value corporate partners really highly uh, from yeah. our perspective. I'm laughing because uh, Femtech Focus is a 501c3 nonprofit and I am a startup girl, man. I am a CEO and yeah. All of my little business models and my financial things. Thank God I have amazing advisors who've had careers in nonprofit for a long time. And they're like, where's the line in this Excel sheet that says like donations? And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's uh, add that in, you know, because I'm like from day one, I'm like, how are we going to make money? What services can we offer that, you know, because nonprofit, Mm -hmm. you can't have a percentage of your income from, you know, services. And, but yeah, it's definitely been a, a mind shift for me. You know, my advisor's like, why are you not asking for donations at the end of your podcast? And I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I should ask that. You know, like NPR, like support yeah. your local NPR. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I can do that. So it's definitely a mind shift. It's a but, mind shift change, yeah. but it's also one that you shouldn't get so far into just because, you know, a nonprofit's a business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, donations are very, very important. And there's so many incredible people in the world that do want to support nonprofits. Yeah. And it's a big part of who people are. And I appreciate that, myself included. But, you know, it's also business and you have to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, whenever we do get a big donation on our website, like just want to cry because I'm like, oh my God, they see what we're doing, <laughs> you know, or like a corporation reaches out and they're like, how do we get involved? Like, you, yeah. like this is so important. So I know um, I send out like a big text chain. I'm like, hey, this one came in. Do you have any statistics on like how many pieces of equipment you've sent? Yeah, of course. So we uh, currently to date have sent nine pieces of equipment out. We are in six different countries. We have deployed uh, $71,000 in medical equipment. Wow. Um, And I think we've treated different, um, and we treated over 41,000 women. Wow. Which is really awesome. We are are growing like crazy though. So those numbers are really going to be moving. We have a massive goal. Um, to impact the lives of 1 million women by the end of 2025. Oh, I love so, it. Lots of work to do, but we're, yes. we're ready and excited for it. It's, you know, it's an audacious goal and, and, and it's a small drop in the bucket. I mean, you know, there's 2.7 billion women in developing countries. 1 million doesn't mean a thing, but to each individual woman, that's a big deal. And to yeah. us, like, that's kind of what I think about every day. Well, I wanted to ask you about your future goals and I, I oh, love- sorry, I jumped the gun. No, you're fluid <laughs> <laughs> conversation. We all know that. So, um, you know, I love that you have like a quantitative goal. I'm all about like quantitative, like we want to hit this many downloads or we want to hit the, you know, so that many women, that's amazing. Do you have, um, like, uh, what are some other, some future goals, like maybe like certain equipment that you are still like, haven't been able to get your hands on yet that you know a country needs like what are some other ones because you know we do have thousands of listeners maybe somebody out there has it right so shoot your shot tell us what you want yeah I mean you know to hit those 1 million women we need to deploy over 200 pieces of equipment and so um we are always looking for um, medical equipment like that is never going to stop everybody needs it and listen like if we go over 200 pieces of equipment or 1 million women like we're not stopping, like I'm not closing the company uh, when we're done. Like when we hit 1 million, we just like keep on going. I just, you know, as a, you know, I just want to make sure that we're focused for a little while, but um, the plan is, yeah, we need, you know, we need ultrasounds. We need mammography equipment. We need, um, you know, fetal monitors. We need pulposcopes, um, uh, cryo, you know, cryoablation, thermal ablation. We need, um, EKGs, uh, dialysis equipment, diabetes monitoring. I mean, like, just keep going. Like anybody, if this resonates with you, like reach out, I'll tell you if, we, if it works for us or not, you know, laboratory equipment is really important. Um, so that's another part, um, kind of that we're working to get into because it supports a lot of the work that we do for diagnostics as well. So laboratory equipment and, and it doesn't have to be the fanciest, like, like, let me put that in perspective. Like it could be five years old. It could be seven years old. Like if you are upgrading your lab, you're upgrading, you know, you're in a hospital, you're upgrading your equipment, you are at a medical device company and Hey, version 17 has come out. Well, I'm totally cool with like version 13. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that it works Mm -hmm. and let's just find the right plugs to make sure it plugs in. And that's about it. Like we're, you know, we have to, we're, we're open to finding homes mm-hmm. for the equipment that is given to us. And I'm, it's not our intention to run a massive warehouse. Like yeah. it'll house something maybe <laughs> for, maybe for a few months while like we're working on yeah. moving it around somewhere. Uh-huh. But like, 
I'm not, I'm not interested in, in running a warehouse. That's, that's, that's not the fun part of this job. Your New York apartment is not big enough for all the centrifuges. No, certainly not. Nor is our storage space that I keep updating, upgrading. So no. Um, and if somebody is listening and has potentially a connection or the, the device for you, how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, Marissa with one or two S's at herhealthyq.org. Um, or you can go to our website, herhealthyq.org. Um, reach out to us or info at herhealthyq.org, any of that. Um, please reach out. Uh, I'd love to, love to hear from everybody. So amazing. Well, we have two last questions that our listeners really love. The yeah. first one is we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders, which I am so proud of. A lot of university graduate students people in corporations that are like, I'm done making rich people richer. Like I'm running to solve a problem. Um, what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Uh, all. The answer is all, all, all areas. Um, but the one that like I can highlight that probably a lot of people don't think about is, is equipment. No, everyone, everyone thinks about apps. Everyone thinks about digital health and connected health. And it's great to be told that you have something, but like, then you need to fix it or you need to treat it. So, which again, goes back to equipment. Um, And so how about, let's think about equipment that's made for developing countries with their needs in mind. What we have, and that's developed in the States or in Europe or wherever is not necessarily applicable to somewhere else. And, um, you know, one quick example is that um, here we're very fancy with our pap, our pap smears. Uh, in in most developing countries, it's it's actually and it's generally far more efficacious. There's a vinegar solution that's used. Hmm. Vinegar is it's cheap. You can get it. You get an entire bottle for a dollar, and you can probably treat hundreds of women. Wow. Like, let's think about innovation. Like that's just a very simple yeah, example. Yeah, but-, but let's think about examples of equipment. And so every area needs innovation. But I'd really love if there's anybody out there and I love to talk about it. Like I'm an investor as well. Like I, you know, I want innovation to move forward. I sit on the board of multiple companies. Like this is important to me as a person. Mm-hmm. And so if there's medical equipment that's out there or, or that you're thinking of developing, like let's think about the greater, greater world as well. There's a, there's a whole world out there. Yep. You know, we had our summit on Monday and I I know it was awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. If you missed it, become a Fem Pro member. You can watch the recordings. Okay, y'all. Awesome. You totally should. (laughs) And in my Femtech landscape talk, I talked about like we have an issue in Femtech where we're designing for the affluent white woman because and I and I don't think that's because everyone in Femtech is like that's the only person that matters. I think it's a systemic issue of that's who is most often funded. You know, when you go to Silicon Valley saying you're going to make a med device for service cervixes in uh, the Philippines, you know, that's strongly to the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world or whatever. Right. And they should, it should, but it's, it's a big systemic issue. If, if anyone knows me, comes to my lectures about fundraising, I think it's a big game that needs changing. We shouldn't be dancing on stages like, you know, do, 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 you know, like, no, but you just, and you just highlighted you know? and you just highlighted that the market's now 1 trillion. Yep. This is not like, this is, this is new news for everybody. And quite honestly, it's not new news to any of us in the industry, yeah. but it, you know, it's important that you highlighted it because it is a huge opportunity 
And it's a huge market. And I have no idea why people are not paying attention to it as much yeah. as they should, besides the buzzworthiness of it. Yep, absolutely. 100%. Well, that actually brings us to our industry question. What do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Money. We need investment. We need people who are willing to invest. Invest in interesting technologies that help the femtech world. And, you know, my perspective is femtech is full women's health. There's nothing to do with one specific organ. So um, we need investment. Period. End of sentence. I love it. Yep. That seems to be the, the call to action. <laughs> I ask everyone that question at the end. We've done you uh, over well over 100 at this point yeah. uh, interviews. And I ask that question, and I mean, nine times out of 10, it's money. So I hope that we are hitting it home, y'all. If you know where the money's at, tell them to put it over here because apparent, you know, if, even if you don't care about vulvas, I just told you it's a trillion dollar market and you can make a ton of money. So if capitalism is all you care about, I also don't care. Just still fund us. hundred percent. Right. <laughs> just Absolutely. don't sit on our board, you know, like <laughs> let you and I sit on the board, but you just fund it, you know? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Marissa, this has been so much fun. You're awesome. I'm so glad I met you and you're doing really awesome work. And, uh, you know, keep it up. Let us know how we can help. This is, this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You're doing incredible work. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to my interview with Marissa Fayer, the CEO and founder of social enterprise nonprofit, Her Health EQ. If you or someone you're connected to has a surplus of medical devices, please reach out to Her Health EQ so they can bring that equipment to reach the women around the world in need. You can reach the organization via the website, herhealtheq.org. Already Fem fans, please join the Femtech Focus virtual community and subscribe to our newsletters. We have a lot of events going on. We have bi-weekly webinars for founders. We have weekly community events for you to meet other people in the femtech industry. So stay up to date with all that by joining our community, subscribing to our newsletter. You can do those by uh, going to femtechfocus.org and following us on social media. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Thank you.